0: Okay. Um, does everybody hear me? Am I loud? Good, Good morning. Okay. I I just feel um, I'm talking about something this morning that I feel like the leadership team kind of threw me in the deep end of the swimming pool. I find it like it's a very difficult thing to talk about, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes today. Uh, we're going through a series uh, about our. Our mission and our values as KI And who remembers what uh, last week, uh, who, what Moira and, and Lynette shared about last week? Apart from the people on the leadership team. Who remembers what was shared last week? Who was here last week? Okay. <laughs> what was shared last week? Last week we talked about our mission statement, and that is. Accepted and to come on, students, students, students. Accepted and transformed to bring God's kingdom into not into the world, into our world. This this was an error, yeah. Into our world, and why 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 do we want to say it's our world? Wherever God has placed you, that's your world. That moment, it could be your business. God wants you to bring that into that business. It could be within your family. You could be a student studying. God wants us to bring God's kingdom into our world. And that's what we are here for as K.I.C. LOA. And also as a church, we have five values that we really, really, really want, cultures of values, cultures that we emphasize things that we really feel that God has called us to emphasize as a congregation. And last week, one of them was shared by Moira. Who remembers what was uh, was shared by Moira last week? What was the first value shared by Moira last week? Family. Uh, Anyone wants to give a recap of what Moira shared? I wasn't here. Somebody be brave. Any brave person to give us a recap of what this culture of family is all about? Uh Uh-oh. Moira, what does that speak of about you as a teacher? <laughs> yeah, please tell us. <laughs> Okay, thank you Moira. And this morning we are going to talk about authenticity. So I'll start by reading us something that I came across which I thought was funny. A bishop who had just had a cup of tea with a parishioner commented, I'm glad to see what a comfortable way you are living. The parishioner replied, oh bishop, if you want to know how we really live, you need to come when you are not here. Can I read that again? A bishop who had just had a cup of tea with a parishioner commented, I'm glad to see what a comfortable way you are living. The parishioner replied, oh, bishop, if you want to know how we really live, you need to come when you are not here. Mm. I'll, I'll let that sink in. And I think sadly, the parishioner's response is a perfect description of the way most of us live. We are a particular way at home, another way when we have guests in our homes, another person at our workplace, and possibly a different person on Sunday mornings in our gatherings. Um, I'm going to give uh, an example of my dad, and this is not because I, I want to dishonor my dad. I really love my dad and I feel like my dad has grown a lot and he's such a wonderful man, but I remember, when I joined university, my dad worked at McCary, Works at McCary, Used to work at Macquarie University. So I remember when I joined the university, I would, every now and then he would, he would ask me to go over, maybe to get something, or he had brought something from home that he wanted to share with me, or give us some money for, you know. And then I, I remember the very first time I went to his his work to his office, I found him laughing, and he was having this, you know, heated conversations with his friends, and you know they were just joking with one another, and he was being goofy, and they were, they were just having such a wonderful time. And I remember looking at him and I'm like, I don't know this man. Honestly, I was like, wow. I didn't know that my dad could actually laugh or joke or be goofy. I never knew that. Because when we'd be at home, my dad would be very stoic. You can't get a word out of him. You, you, can't even, you can't even tell if he's happy or sad. You wouldn't ever tell. So I remember looking at him I'm like, who is this man? And I remember, for, I, I think for a season, I resented his workmates because I feel like my dad connected with his workmates more than he connected with us as a family. And that really hurt deeply. For the longest time, like, I held that against him. I'm like, how could he possibly enjoy his colleagues at work than he ever enjoys us at, uh, enjoy his time with us at home? And that bothered me. But that's exactly how so many of us, and I don't think I'm, very, I'm excluded from that, many of us put up fronts in different environments or in different places that we find ourselves. When I looked up the meaning of authenticity from the online edition, it says authenticity is defined as the quality of being genuine or real, legitimate or true. It also alludes to the quality of being consistent. And I must say, um, when, you, when you think about authenticity, I, I've I realized, like, especially with the younger generations, like, this, this, there's all this talk, uh, we want you to be real, we want, us, we want people who are real, I want people who, who are authentic and all that, there's all, all that talk. And I've also feel like, in a way, this word has actually been lost to the secular world. Because when, that, when, you, when someone says, I want you to be real, they want to talk about one aspect of, there's only the, the one aspect that is looked at when someone says, I want you to be real and I'm going to, I'll, I'll go back to that later on, but I think this particular definition that I came across is really a, a very good definition of what authenticity should look like for us as a Christian, or for us as a believer. Authenticity is engaging in an honest process of becoming more like Christ. So authenticity is not just about being real about where you are, it's also about being real about who you are in Christ, that is very important. The secular world is emphasizing all these weaknesses, all these faults, all these struggles, but they are not pointing you to what Christ has done in and through you. That balance is lacking. And so this morning I want us to kind of get that balance right when we talk about the word authenticity. So the secular view only focuses on the aspect of the natural man. Obviously, it's, it's very unhealthy for us to constantly. It's actually selfish if you're constantly looking at what is wrong with you and telling everyone about what is wrong with you and all that. But on the other hand, also if you think about it, I, uh, when I was at Bible college, there's something that I really, really hated. You know, like you'd go to a friend or a colleague in class and ask, how are you? And I say, oh, brother, I am blessed. Oh, I'm blessed. Oh, I'm blessed. I'm like, oh, thank God you're blessed. And as you walk away, this person starts top like, oh, by the way, I need some money. I need to buy food. I didn't eat last night, so you're blessed, oh, I'm blessed, oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, but there's also this other area of their lives that they don't want to talk about, and so I realized over time that what was going on is that people believed that, you know, there was. I think at that time there was all this confession is possession, confession is possession, and that is good, but the truth is, yes, we are blessed in Christ but also this, this aspect of we are natural, we're in the natural body, we are humans, and we go through stuff. And if someone asks you, how are you doing? And I say, oh, I am blessed, I am blessed, and you're hurting and you're going through something difficult, how are they going to be able to come alongside you and help you with that thing that you're dealing with or struggling with? So you see all those sides of this, of that same coin, it's the same coin, but different sides of it. It's very important that we get that balance right. I think one of my favorite preachers says something that I really like, he says, It's not necessarily wrong to say, oh, I am sick, but I know by his stripes I was healed. Like we're declaring this morning, yes, right now I am fearful, but fear is not my future because God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. Yes, at this particular moment, I am struggling. I don't even have food for dinner, but I know my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. It's where you put your but that matters. So put your butt in the right place. So again, we go back to this. It is engaging in an honest process of becoming more like Christ. So I want to bring something else to our attention. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says we are three-part beings. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not just a body, we are not just a soul, we are not just a spirit, we are all these things in one package. So the moment we acknowledge Jesus as our Savior and accepted his atoning sacrifice through his death and resurrection, we instantly took on a new identity in our spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but he who is joined to the Lord is, is one spirit with him. So we became one with the Lord at the moment we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we became a new creation. 1 John 4.17 says, as Jesus is, so are we in this present world. So we are like Jesus right now, right here. And then when you look at the soul, our souls, on the other hand, must go through the process of transformation because they do not instantly change at the, with a born-again experience. So the process here is referred to as the renewing of our minds, and this is what it enables us to experience what we already have in our spirit in our day-to-day life, here and now. Romans 12 two says, do not be conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So as we renew our minds, we are just aligning ourselves with the life of Christ that is already resident in our spirits. Our bodies, on the other hand, nothing changes. If you were a male before you got born again, you'll be a male. If you are white, you still say white. If you are black, you'll be black. If you are bal- balding like I am, you'll still be balding. So nothing changes with our bodies. And why am I trying to emphasize this? Again, I'm just trying to deal with that secular mindset of what authenticity is. It's not just about where you are, how you are right now. It's also who you are in Christ. How do we get that balance right? So authenticity therefore involves acknowledging our sins, our struggles, while looking forward and embracing who he says we are and are becoming. And I know Jerry, Jerry likes saying about, about the whole aspect of becoming. We, it's not just about where you are now, but who you, you are becoming. who you, Jesus says you are already in your spirit and how you are becoming. that. It's not just who you are right now, but also who you are becoming in him. So there is a delicate balance that is needed in being an authentic person. Being honest and vulnerable about the areas of sin, weakness, struggle, while affirming one's identity in Christ. It's not one or the other. The problem is if you focus on only what is wrong in you, about yourself, in yourself, you're going to be very frustrated. I don't know about you. It's like I overcome one thing and the next thing the Lord shows me there's another area of my life where there's a struggle. And then you deal with that, and you get prayer, and friends come alongside you, and you read the word, and you get your mind renewed, and you overcome that particular thing, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I also have another issue. So if that is all that you ever focus on, you're going to be such a miserable person. So there must be a balance between what we experience in our bodies, who we we feel we, you know, the things that we struggle with and all that, but also what Jesus has said about us. And that is what gives us the hope, and it helps us to continue walking this journey of salvation. So an authentic person is both privately and publicly putting off the old self and by God's grace putting on the new man. There's a concept of putting on and putting off. Putting off the old man and putting on the new man. I'm going to read from Ephesians 4:17 to 24 uh, from the message. And so I insist, and God backs, backs me up on this, that there be no going, al- that there be no going along with the crowd the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They have refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's not life for you. You learn Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus'. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance, everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that that old way of life has to go. It is rotten through and through, get rid rid of it, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. they're putting on and putting off. Philippians 3, 12, 14 says, I'm not saying that I have have this all together, that I have made it, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. And that is our journey as believers. That's the journey of authenticity. There's a putting off and there's a putting on. You're putting off the old man and all his fail- the, the failures and the challenges and struggles, and you're putting on the new man that has been recreated in Christ Jesus. So uh, authenticity is a journey of becoming and experiencing in our souls the fullness of the life and identity we already possess in our renewed spirits by, the faith, by faith through grace. Then there's the aspect of privately. You remember that definition that I said? An authentic person is both privately and publicly. So, privately, authenticity starts with your own relationship with God. It starts with our own relationship with Jesus, choosing to bear our souls before the God who sees and knows everything about us anyway. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16:7 7, that, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward, outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man might see differently when they look at us, but God sees the heart and sees the real you. So how vulnerable, how authentic, how open are we even in our relationship with God? Because that's where it all starts. You cannot be authentic with other people if you're not even authentic in your relationship with God. I, I, one of uh, my favorite characters in the Bible is David. If you read through the book of Psalms, like, you just see how he would, just, he would not hold back <laughs> in his relationship with God. He would say to God exactly what was going on with him. Again, he says, you know, like most of the Psalms start are like, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Why are the wicked prospering? and all that, and I'm here, but God. <laughs> and then he remembers and puts the bat somewhere in the right position. So how, how is our relationship with Jesus? What sort of things are we holding back from him? Are we bearing ourselves before him? Are we secure enough in the fact that he loves us and cares for us to actually you know, not hold back and hide stuff from him? Because he knows it anyway. But then there's saw the aspect of publicly in, a, in, in safe and accountable relationships, choosing to be vulnerable and transparent about the areas of struggle in our lives and acknowledging our need for the body of Christ to help us come into the fullness of, God, of, of, the, of the person God's purpose for us to be, but also to accomplish his purpose for our lives. So it starts with your relationship with God, but then there must be also some, some authenticity with the people in your life. could be your family, could be the, the believers in your fellowships. So it's not just private, but it's also public. Can people look at our lives and be able to see the ongoing transformation and see us constantly becoming more and more like Christ? Is that visible to the world around us? So I want to now to emphasize what I'll call the pillars of cultivating a life of authenticity or a culture of authenticity as a church. And I think the first and foremost is acceptance, which takes us back to our mission statement. We are accepted and transformed to bring God's kingdom into our world. Acceptance is very, very important. If we as a church are going to cultivate this culture of authenticity, there must be an acceptance of one another. And I think Maura also mentioned that when she was talking about family last week. Accepting people of different skin, color, you know, accepting people who don't do family like you do, Accepting people who, who think differently from you, but it's also it's accepting people with their good, the bad, and the ugly. This doesn't mean we condone sin, but rather we are willing to embrace people even in their worst state, like Jesus did with us. And then, and then you come along these people, you disciple them. Again, discipleship is something that will, will come up here as we continue with these talks. And you disciple them. Discipling is to teach them, to walk alongside them, and model for them the ways of Jesus until they can come into the fullness of who Jesus says they are and also accomplish their purpose here on earth. So, how embracing are we of people? Could be people who are struggling in their faith right now in this season. Probably someone, you know, there's someone who's doubting God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Maybe someone is even doubting whether God actually exists. How do we embrace such people and how do we walk alongside them? How about people who are struggling with maybe a sin pattern? Could be alcoholism, could be pornography, whatever it is. How do we, how accepting are we of people? How embracing are we people? How do we come alongside people who are struggling, who are not at the same level as we are in our walk, in our faith in God? So acceptance is very important if we are going to cultivate this culture of authenticity within our church. And then I will talk about security authentic people are very secure in their identity in christ they are not defined by what happens to them or in them but they rather they are pursuing a growing revelation of their identity and they are affirming others in their identity in christ as well so the question again is i think whenever you find yourself hiding stuff from god or from other people ask yourself how secure are you in him in his love for you in your identity in him and also that means it also brings a question to the rest of us, how secure are people in our love and acceptance of them? Because I think as long as people feel that we are judgmental, we are very critical, we are very mean-spirited, definitely no one is going to actually come to you and say, by the way, I'm struggling with this, I need help. But how are we affirming others in their identity in God? Or are we busy? magnifying the worst, you know, magnifying their failures, magnifying their struggles, and not pointing them to who they are in Jesus and what Jesus did for them at the cross. So acceptance, security, accountability. We need to have relationships in our lives where we are well known or known well enough, but also loved just as much that when even these individuals call call us out on sin in our lives or ungodly attitudes all wrong choices, we would actually submit to them. I remember earlier on in, in, in my marriage, Lynette and I were working through something. And so we shared, we, I think we were out with Jerry and Moira and uh, the former pastor at Bugolobi, Ross and his family, we were just visiting with them. And, and, and at that point, like, we, we just had this ongoing issue that we were you know, battling and batting heads about. And so that, that, the thing is, both of us had been single for a while so we had developed our own lives, we had our own ways of doing things, and I am I, an introvert, I love my space, I want to be left alone at some point, and do your thing, I will do my thing, so that was me, and for my wife, she didn't understand that, like, I'm married to you, why do you want to have personal space? I should be in your space, I should be, you know, we should be together, we should do things together, and so it was an ongoing things, and, and, then, and then there was more to it that I didn't actually realize, and I remember, like, uh, I think after that conversation, and they, you know, they encouraged us and prayed with us, but I remember the following day, Jerry came to me and said, you know what, you need to do something about this. You can't keep zoning your wife out. I don't even know if you remember that you told me that. So he pulled me aside just before he started church. I'm like, ah, Jerry. You know, he pulled me aside and said, you need to stop zoning your wife out. That's not loving. That's not, you're not going to be able to continue walking the good journey of, of, of marriage if you continue zoning her out and neglecting her and leaving her on the outside and dealing with your things on your own and then only going to back to her when things are resolved and all that. And, and, and at that point, Jerry had been working with me, had been encouraging me. He knew about my, my growing up and the things I struggled with growing up. And so he, he had that authority to speak into my life. Because I had also, also given him that authority to speak into my life by being accountable to him. So it's important that there are people like that in our lives. But even they can say, you know what, Patrick, that job is not for you. You like that job, it's going to pay you a lot of money, you, you, you can't take that job, it's going to destroy you. And you, those, you know those people love you enough, and you trust them, or you trust God in them, that you'd actually say, fine, I will not do that because I'm accountable to this person. I, 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 was, I, re, I was reading a book by Derek Prince. and So Derek Prince's uh, first wife died. The wife was, I think, 25 years older than him. So the wife dies. And then he went through a season of being single again. And then he wanted to remarry. But the woman he wanted to remarry had been divorced. And he really knew, this is the woman God has for me. He, he really loved the woman, but she was divorced. And so he actually took this decision to these men. He had, I think there were three or four men that he really, really submitted to and was accountable to while working with him and they were encouraging him and they would you know, just, just support his ministry. So he took that decision to them. And the four men says, this is, does not look good. You can't marry a divorced woman. Now the thing is they might have been wrong in their judgment, in their in their in their advice, in, or whatever they thought they were telling him. But what actually Derek Prince, this person who was very he was actually more known than the disposal why he was accountable to. He was more known, he was traveling all the world and preaching the gospel and praying for the sick and the sick. He actually backed off. He says, if these men are not agreeing and letting me take this decision, I'm going to back off and I'm going to trust God until these men get a yes from God, just like I have a yes from God. Can you imagine that? I don't know what example of a preacher that you know, but just imagine one of the most powerful preachers who's right now that you know and doing all these powerful things in the kingdom of God and then submitting himself to these little known men and they say, you can't marry that much because she's divorced. And he actually says, no, I will not go ahead because I am... I am in a relationship of accountability with these people. And, 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 and I think it was a few months later, as he continued to to, you know, to battle this with God and praying and all that, these men came around. i like, no, we actually, know, we agree with you. Please go ahead. And that's what accountability looks like. So do you have people like that in your life? Who, you can, choose, who, you, who you, you can be brutally honest about the failings and the struggles and the things in your life that are not going well. Do you have people like that? Do you have at least one or two people like that in your life? So if you're going to say as a church that we are going to be authentic, there must be a level of accountability one with another as a body of believers. So, And then the, the fourth pillar is vulnerability. It's important that we are turning to others even in our lowest moments and seeking help counsel, comfort, rather than retreating to our shells, or retreating, retreating into our shells. Um, always amazed, I think Jesus was the man among men, not I think, I know, Jesus is the, was the man and he is the man among men. Uh, what happened when he lost, uh, when, 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 when one of his friends died? Who remembers what happened? When Lazarus died, what did Jesus do? What does the Bible say Jesus did? He He wept. I'm talking about the man among men. If you think you're a man, Jesus was a man. But he wept. Jesus was vulnerable before his own disciples. He did not run away and hide away, then cry. He cried and they could actually see that he really loved his friend and was saddened by the loss of his friend. So how often are we willing to show our vulnerabilities to others? Or are we more concerned about our appearances before men? Men, men get, men rise up, men stand up. I want to speak to men. So uh, men, it is okay to be seen crying. Say yes. Men, it is okay to be seen crying. Say yes. It is okay to say sorry to your wife when you've wronged her. Say yes. Yes. It is okay to say sorry to your kids or subordinates when you've wronged them. Yes. It doesn't make you less of a man if you say sorry. It doesn't make you less of a man if you're sad and to show that you're sad and you cry. I think for men it's easier to show anger but it's not very easy to show the other emotions like sadness, disappointments, because they're like, no, a tough man just, no, no, no. No, that's not the definition of a man. The definition of a man is what Jesus says you are as a man. So again, men it is okay to be seen crying, yes? It is okay to say sorry to your wife and kids or subordinates when you've wronged them. Say yes. yes. Okay, please sit. And then the last one is integrity. So, how are we modeling consistency between our talk and work? Our private lives and our public lives. Is there a consistency? So would you be a different person based on who is watching you? Integrity, consistency. Uh, and I must confess, when when I'm at quiet, I behave. <laughs> because I know at quiet ISU people will be there and church people will be there. Like you try your level best But what about if if I'm in the world? Because I work in the world on two days a week. So in Luero, no one there knows me as well as the people here. But would I behave differently because Jerry and Moira are not there? Would I behave differently because Caston is not there? Would I behave differently because Christine and Paul are not going to see me? And Probably even the way I drive in Luero will be different from the way I drive on my way to Luero because after all, I may be driving badly and then Christine sees me. Oops. Like that man drives like a maniac and he's one of our leaders in the church. You know, that's how most of us live our lives. Like who's watching, who's seeing me, then, then you put on your best. And then when, they are like, ah, who cares? And then you're slamming your brakes at every point and you're shouting and using F-words at, at the, the other drivers on the road. And... So the question is, how are we modeling consistency between what we profess and how we live our lives, between our private lives and our public lives? Is there a consistency? What would Jesus say about that if you were to take that question to him? If you ask Jesus today, is my life consistent? Between the way I talk and walk and between my private and public lives, what would Jesus say to you if you were to take that question to him? Authenticity. I told you I didn't like talk about, talking about all this particular value, but... I mean culture, but... so And, and here we are authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. I'll go back and just read that definition again as we close. And then what I'm going to ask us is to get in groups of fours, not more than fours, just groups of fours and then we'll do something at the end. So authenticity is engaging in an honest process of becoming more like Christ. Are we engaging in that process? Is it ongoing? Is it continuous? Is it evident to yourself and others around you? Are you honest about your need for Christ in the areas of sin and weakness? Are you hiding them? Are you exposing them to the light and to the truth of his word? We are engaging in a process, which means it will not just happen by chance. The goal is to become more like Christ. The goal is to become more like Christ. And that is what true authenticity is and not what the secular world is telling us. How are we becoming more like Christ day by day? Okay, reflection. So um, in groups of fours, the first question is which of the five pillars of authenticity is the most challenging to you? Remember the pillars are Acceptance, security, accountability, vulnerability and integrity. Which of those do you struggle the most with? Next, next question. How else can we, as the body of Christ at K.I. Suluboa, encourage this value in our gatherings or even in our relationships with one another? How can we, as the body of Christ at K.I. Suluboa, encourage this value in our gatherings and relationships? And then depending on what the discussions go like and what things come up, please take the time to pray for one another and encourage one another. Let's do that very quickly because now the kids are coming in and they're not going to give you a break.